Welcome to episode 31.5 of the How Did Happen podcast, hosted by Mike Malatesta. In this episode, Mike shares a story about something an entrepreneur hopes that will never happen to an employee, and that is an employee dying as a result of performing the duties of his or her job. Mike shares his real-life experience about this, telling the events of that tragic day as they unfolded, how he felt beside the casket, wishing Billy was still here, and his struggle with unanswered questions. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the How Did Happen podcast. Uh, this episode is one of my, what I'm calling my half episodes. It's in response to some feedback that I got from listeners who, one, wanted to find out a little bit more about me and some of the experiences that I've had, for whatever reason, and two, <clears throat> wanted uh, to experiment with some shorter episodes. So I'm calling this uh, my half episodes, and it'll be shorter, uh, much shorter than the than the hour that I normally do, but it tells a story of something that's happened in my life or in my career that might provide uh, some value to to you as a listener. And this, what I'm going to talk about today is a story about Billy Spang. Billy uh, was uh, a driver for us way back uh, when we first started uh, our company, and he uh, regrettably was killed in a very serious uh, truck accident. And I wrote this story about that accident and how I felt and how I ended up ultimately dealing with uh, its consequences. And so it's called The First Tragedy, I Didn't Sign Up For This. It's a late morning in March 1996, and I'm kneeling in front of a casket, talking to Billy. I'm telling him that I wanted him to still be here, and how much I appreciated the chance I had to meet and get to know him. How I wished he was at home, sitting on his couch in front of the TV with his wife, eating pie that she'd made and baked earlier with ice cream, something I knew they loved doing together after the day's work was done. I told him that I was sorry and that I felt responsible. And then I ran out of things to say. At 9.37 in the morning, four days before, the number displaying on my pager was unfamiliar. It began with a 312, which I recognized as being a Chicago number. I called the number back, expecting a customer to answer, as most had my pager number. Instead, a captain with the Chicago Fire Department answered. We've got a problem here, he informed me. One of your trucks is laying on its side on the Eisenhower, eastbound between Costner and Pulaski. What's in this thing? I went into search mode in my mind, going through my schedule to figure out who it was. You still there, he barked, breaking the short silence. The truck number is 301. What's in this thing? Is it hazardous? 301. That's Billy's truck. Where was Billy coming from? Oh, got it. Morton uh, in Ringwood. He was headed to LRS on Stony Island. Um, no, sir, <clears throat> I stammered. It is uh, latex wash water. It's non-hazardous. Is the driver okay? Okay, good. It hasn't leaked anything yet. They took your driver to the hospital already. I don't know his condition. I need you to get a truck here to get this thing pumped off so we can stand it up, hook it, and get it the hell off the highway. 
How long will that take? I need a little time. Can I get that figured out and call you back ASAP, sir? 10-4, call me back ASAP. Then he hung up. I met Billy when I went to work with a company called A&J Cartage. It was 1992. I started there after I'd been fired from my previous job. Billy was the sort of the lead man for a sludge hauling contract that A&J had with a big wastewater treatment plant in Milwaukee, known as MMSD. He was a tiny man to look at, short and very, very thin. The kind of guy who was always tugging at his pants to keep them up, even though his belt was ratcheted as tightly as it could be. He had a full head of hair, but it was thin and wispy like mine. When he wasn't wearing a hat, he was frequently trying to put it back in place with his hand, like my neighbor Phil would do before his chemotherapy treatments began. Billy's smile was engaging and infectious. His eyes were bright. In conjunction with his smile, they conveyed kindness with a hint of naughtiness. If Billy wasn't wearing his dentures, he was missing enough teeth that you couldn't help but notice. In a way you wouldn't expect, that added to his charm. He wasn't a polished guy, but Billy was genuine, comfortable with who he was. Some guys think that they can bully a small guy like Billy, but he wasn't afraid to yell at or stand up to anyone. He was also willing to work hard, go wherever he was needed, and do whatever he was asked. Unlike some of the others at A&J, Billy didn't need to have work pointed out or explained to him. He knew it when he saw it, and he knew what to do with it as well. He impressed me. It took me 10 minutes to make the schedule changes to free up Scott and Butch so that they could get to the scene and pump off Billy's tanker. I let the captain know that we'd have trucks on the scene in 45 minutes to an hour. Have them call me when they get here. I'll get them next to the truck. I drove to the scene filled with anxiety and fear, imagining the unpleasantness of what had unfolded, what was waiting for me. Would Billy be okay? Would we be in trouble? Would our insurance work? Could I handle it? Would I cry? When I arrived, Butch and Scott had already started emptying Billy's tanker, which was straddling the left shoulder and far left lane of the road. It was laying on its driver's side, wheels facing south, like it was taking a nap. The traffic was sneaking by on the right shoulder. People were angry and cursing at us. The highway was visibly scraped more than 100 feet directly west of the scene, mapping the trail of the tanker's slide to its current resting place. A record truck was in the center lane. It was well-named for the work it was doing at the moment. Another was positioned to the rear. Two yellow nylon straps had been wrapped around the tanker's barrel and attached to one of the wreckers' winches. The other was attached to it as well and would serve as resistance against the first one's pull. When the tanker was empty, the wrecker drivers worked their rigs together, gently lifting and rotating the tanker at the same time to get it upright before lowering it down gently on its tires and landing gear. From the south, on the passenger side, the tanker looked normal, like nothing had happened. From the north, it looked like someone had practiced on it with a demolition ball. One of the wreckers repositioned, grabbed and lifted the tanker from its front and dragged it away to an impound yard. Despite how peaceful the tanker looked resting on its side, 
the scraped highway wasn't the only evidence of the accident's violence. In most truck rollovers, the tractor and trailer go over together and stay together. They look pretty much like they do when they're driving down the road, only they're not. This wasn't like most. Billy's tractor was nowhere to be found on the road. When Billy had called me about a driving job we had advertised in the paper, I was surprised to hear from him. We'd only known each other briefly. I mean, I'd only made it for a month at A&J before quitting that job, and we hadn't talked in over a year. He hadn't driven for some time either, having been promoted to a supervisory role at his old job. He told me he was unhappy, that he wanted a change, and that he thought that driving would be the right change for him. He wasn't the perfect fit, but who is? But we needed a driver, and it was tough to resist his charm and ability. The eastbound and westbound lanes of the Eisenhower Expressway are separated by tracks and stations for the Metra Rail Blue Line service that connects the airport with downtown and the western city neighborhoods. Large concrete barriers topped with chain-link fencing, like you'd see at a racetrack, serve as a barrier between the traffic and the trains. Just east of where the tanker had been, a large portion of the fencing was missing or mangled. That was where Billy's tractor climbed the barrier and left the road. You could see it hundreds of feet ahead. It had come to rest on its left side, up against a small storage shed. It wasn't on the tracks, so the trains were running as usual. Its roof was collapsed and its windows smashed. Its wheels were no longer attached to the frame, but instead were up against the concrete wall a short distance away, as if a giant had plucked it from the highway then crushed and ripped it apart before tossing it aside, like trash. The passenger door was missing. That's where the medical team got him out. When I was done with all the forms, reports, and interviews the police and fire personnel required, and had called my insurance company with the news, I was at Cook County Hospital, where Billy had been taken by the ambulance. He was in the ICU, and they wouldn't let me see him. The nurse told me that he was pretty banged up and that they were doing everything they could. Having seen where he'd come from, she wasn't telling me anything I hadn't expected. Billy's wife came to the hospital with her sister, and we comforted each other the best we could for me meeting them for the first time under these circumstances. Billy died the next morning. They told us that he died peacefully, as it was clear that there had been no peace in what he went through to get there that seemed hard to believe. We never found out exactly how Billy's accident happened, beyond knowing that the tractor broke free from the trailer and then it flipped over a number of times before ending up where it did. We never would. The DOT inspected what remained of the truck and trailer and determined that it had been mechanically sound. Billy's logbook was up to date as well. We wanted to believe that someone had cut him off or stopped suddenly or unnecessarily in front of him, causing him to take drastic and evasive action, like a fighter pilot with a missile on his tail and losing control of his rig in the process. There was speculation about that, but no direct evidence or witnesses to confirm it, the police told me later. He also could have been distracted by a hundred different things, fallen asleep, or who knows what else. 
After I finished talking to Billy, I moved on to the receiving line where his wife and teenage daughter and other close relatives that I hadn't met before were standing, thanking those who came to Billy's service. What do you say? I was 27 and hadn't had a close family member die, let alone someone who'd worked with me or for me. I was lost. This wasn't part of anyone's plan. I've been told that people like finality in things. I know I do. There was no finality to Billy's death, to exactly what happened. Unless you created something on your own. My finality was that I'd put him in a situation that caused him to crash and die. It would be natural and understandable for his family to hold me responsible too, I thought. I might a little or maybe more than a little if I were them. I hadn't signed up for this. No one had. But I was in charge. This happened on my watch. It was the first tragedy. The end. I guess I'm happy to report that Billy's family never seemed to hold me responsible for what happened to him, even though they could have. We did our best to make uh, amends to his family, to do what we could uh, for his wife and for his teenage daughter, but I, you know, I know that was never enough. I learned a lot going through that, um, nothing that I wanted to learn, um, but uh, when you're put into that kind of situation, there are all kinds of things coming at you um, beyond the tragedy of uh, Billy's life. And I, hopefully I, I was able to take some of what happened and, and become better and have the company become better uh, as a result. There are always lessons in, in every great thing that happens, and there are always lessons in every bad thing that happens. Um, so uh, that's, my, that's my half episode for today. I wish I could tell you that this was the only tragedy that we that 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 we've ever or I've ever had to experience <clears throat> but <clears throat> but it's not and um maybe we'll hear more about those later uh or maybe we'll hear about some of the good stuff that's that's happened cuz there's plenty of that as well. Thanks for listening today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How Did Happen podcast, where we believe that success doesn't happen unless you make it happen. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, please rate it and leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show, ideas for future guests, or whatever you'd like to share. And of course, you can always find me at MikeMalatesta.com. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to the How Did Happen podcast.